Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, during the weekly government house press briefing, Vitima director Daryl Joshin provides details given the president's emergency declaration. A man was killed over the weekend on St. Croix. We get an update from the U.S. Coast Guard regarding the diesel spill at Lindbergh Bay on St. Thomas. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. Daryl George Sr. was establishing a legacy. He provided a path. He had goals. Those goals didn't die. On Saturday, funeral services were held for the late Fire and Emergency Medical Services Director Daryl George Sr. Newly appointed Director Antonio Stevens stated that he knew there were large shoes to fill. Governor Albert Bryan Jr. remarked on Director George's commitment to the department as well as the Junior Firefighters Program. You know, when you influence a child in a way, in such a way that they turn their whole life, they want to be a fireman or they want to do public service, that's the gift that keeps on giving. That's how most he was. After the funeral, as members of the department celebrated the life of Director George, personnel were dispatched after the 911 emergency call center received reports of an explosion in the area of Tabor and Harmony on St. Thomas. Public Information Officer Jonelle Alexis Jackson has the details. On November 18th, the Virgin Islands Fire and Emergency Medical Services responded to a call reporting an explosion with possible injuries. Upon receiving the emergency call, the Lima Company was immediately dispatched. Two units from our Lima Company, along with units from Echo, Hotel, and Tango Company were deployed to address the situation. Two ambulances, along with off-duty VIFEMS members and the St. Thomas Rescue Team, arrived on the scene. The initial assessment revealed a structure on the eastern side of the location fully engulfed in flames. The EMS unit promptly provided care and transported two patients with serious burn injuries to the Schneider Regional Medical Center for further treatment. Recognizing the complexity of the incident, members of the Prevention and Investigation Unit promptly arrived at the scene to initiate an investigation into the circumstances surrounding the explosion and the fire. The incident demanded a coordinated response involving 10 on-duty firefighters and multiple off-duty personnel from the St. Thomas, St. John, and St. Croix, as well as the St. Thomas Rescue Team members. Their collaborative efforts played a pivotal role in successfully managing the incident. The investigation into the incident is currently ongoing, and VIFEMS is working diligently to uncover further details. Additional information will be provided as it becomes available. The VIFEMS expresses its gratitude to all personnel and agencies involved for their swift response and dedicated efforts in managing this challenging incident. The safety and well-being of our community remains our top priority, and we are committed to ensuring a thorough investigation and the provision of any necessary support to those affected. And over the weekend, police officers reported to have found one man dead after reports of shots fired in Fredericksted on St. Croix. 
Media Relations Coordinator Kishma Chichester has the details. On November 19, 2023, at about 11.06 p.m., the 911 Emergency Call Center received a report of shots being fired in Fredericksted Town in the vicinity of Rosie's Bar. Responding officers were notified of a gunshot victim in the area. Upon officers' arrival, they observed a black male on the ground south of the credit union with what appeared to be multiple gunshot wounds to his upper body. Emergency medical service personnel was on scene and found no signs of life. The deceased was identified by his next of kin as 49-year-old Jemison Charles. Investigation continues into this matter. Anyone with information can call 911, the CIB tip line at 340-778-4950 or Crime Stoppers VI at 1-800-222-8477. On Sunday, the Federal Emergency Management Agency announced that President Joe Biden approved federal disaster assistance to be made available to the Virgin Islands to supplement the territory's response efforts due to the emergency conditions resulting from elevated levels of lead and copper in the water supply. During the weekly government house press briefing that took place today, Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency Director Daryl Joshin provided details given the declaration. Now, this Saturday evening, Governor Bryan did receive notification that this request for federal emergency declaration has been partially approved by President Biden based on the current assessment and degree of federal assistance requested. Unlike other requests for emergency declarations from the U.S. Virgin Islands, such as a pre-storm assistance, this request for drinking water compromised due to lead and copper required a thorough evaluation and justification by Governor Bryan and the support staff. Uh, now we're going to talk about the immediate needs for this 90 days. Uh, it must be focused on providing direct federal assistance, providing emergency protective measures, focus on keeping and containing the emergency, as well as improving the conditions for our community. Uh, technical assistance is now available from other agencies besides the EPA, so you may see some other agencies show up to provide assistance as we have a whole vast array of federal partners uh, now available to us. Uh, the Freeman Region 2 response team will arrive in the territory next week, is already preparing this week to join the Unified Command. Um, this morning, in discussion with FEMA Region 2 and talking to David Warrington, the administrator this morning, he emphasized that this declaration is going to be a complicated endeavor. Not a complicated in the sense of the water pieces that go with this, but the fact of the numerous federal agencies already involved, as well as the grants and technical assistance. Uh, he has assigned a federal courting officer, uh, individual we worked with in the past, Lai Sun Yi. Uh, she will be on island next week working directly uh, with Vitima and other agencies, as well as her supporting staff. Um, we anticipate Administrator uh, Region 2, David Warrington, making a visit to St. Croix probably in the next two or three weeks to see for himself on the ground, as well as talk to some of the senior leaders um, at both Water Power Authority and in the Joint Command to watch the integrated of our, our federal assets for that. Department of Health Territorial Epidemiologist Dr. Esther Ellis provided an update regarding the pediatric lead level testing. To date, we have met with parent-teacher organizations at several schools and have completed testing at Alfredo Andrews, Lou Muckle, Good Hope Country Day, Claudio Marco, St. Croix Montessori, and Ricardo Richards. Today, we are testing at Eulalia Rivera, and tomorrow our teams will test at three schools, 
Free Will Baptist, Darapo Montessori, and Juanita Gardeen. On Monday, November 27th, our pediatric lead testing continues at Pearl B. Larson. As of this morning, 390 children have completed the initial finger prick sample. Of the 390, 15 finger prick detecting pendant confirmation have been referred for follow-up confirmatory testing through a venous blood draw. Of 15, the VI Department of Health has received the results of seven tests which were all returned negative or below the level of concern for lead. To reiterate, to date, there have been zero positive lead blood tests. Um, again, there have been zero positive lead blood tests to date. And over the weekend, the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority and members of the government's unified command conducted the distribution of water vouchers to Sinclair residents impacted by elevated lead and copper levels in their potable drinking water. By the end of the weekend, it's reported that just under 1,300 vouchers were distributed, and by Sunday, 57 WAPA account holders had registered but not yet picked up their vouchers. The free vouchers are redeemable to purchase water on Sincroy at both Pueblo locations, The Market, Blue Mountain Water, and Plaza Extra East. For more information about the voucher distribution, visit cleanwaterusvi.com. Residents with health concerns related to lead exposure and testing may continue to call the Department of Health hotlines from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday at 340-712-6299 or 340-776-1519. And for water sampling concerns, the Department of Planning and Natural Resources hotline at 340-514-3666. During Thursday's Senate Committee on Education and Workforce Development, students from schools in the St. Croix District provided testimony on the conditions they face while attending schools in the district. John H. Woodson Junior High School student Michaela Walcott expressed her frustrations of having to participate in virtual learning and split sessions at the St. Croix Central High School, as well as excess heat in classrooms and the condition of bathrooms while on campus. While at Woodson, students constantly avoided using the bathroom. There was never enough paper towel or soap in the dispenser. The writings on the bathroom stalls are disgusting and repulsive. The state of some of the bathrooms themselves are concerning. Personally, I didn't even feel comfortable enough to go to the bathrooms regularly, and I can attest to many of my friends feeling the same exact way. I cannot tell you the current state of Central's bathrooms. I have not stepped foot into one. However, every single student I have spoken to says the same thing. The bathrooms are in terrible condition and just downright disgusting. Senator Carla Joseph, seemingly frustrated with members of the Department of Education, pushed for timelines on projects being done. I'm going to ask Department of Education, Mr. Sum and Mr. Charlemagne and uh, Ms. Otley Herman and Mr. Milligan, who are here, this is a St. Croix issue, what are we doing with the, the bathrooms? Because I noted that you have in your testimony that you have some of them bundling, and this one has been, um, a bathroom issues have been contracted to lightning construction. When have they started? Have they started to work on the bathroom? Because it's critical that the young people be treated with dignity, and this is undignified treatment. So kindly indicate. Uh, Victor Sum, the third assistant commissioner. Having visited Central yesterday and the day before, it has started. 
I met with the contractor, Mr. David Xavier. He's currently working on the bathrooms on the 900 wing. So that has started. I personally met with him. Completed kindly. I would refer that to Mr. Charlemagne for completion dates. Yes, good afternoon, Senator. Davidson Charlemagne, Territorial Facilities Manager. Yes, um, completion date will not be something that we could just say it's going to be overnight because we're going to do all 14 of those restrooms. Uh, Madam Chair, Mr. Charlemagne, I don't need a long talk. Okay, just say you have a contract. I know about contracts. You should have a completion date. You need to give it to the young people so that they could anticipate and they could check our eyes and ears on the ground. You're in the WTJX newsfeed. Testing has confirmed that diesel spilled at the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority's power plant on St. Thomas was the same substance later found in the water at Lindbergh Bay. That's according to the U.S. Coast Guard. We spoke with U.S. Coast Guard Sector Sang Wong and the U.S. Virgin Islands Public Affairs Officer Ricardo Castradad for the details. Coast Guard uh, personnel and Coast Guard Atlantic Strike Team person personnel assisted with conducting a sample, collecting samples that were sent to the uh, Marine Safety Lab uh, for analysis. Uh, those results came in and uh, eventually identified that what we were seeing in Limburg Bay was tied to the Tank 11 discharge. Since then, the Coast Guard has formally notified WAPA uh, that the uh, response efforts dealing with the cleanup from everything that had to do with the Tank 11 discharge have now extended to also include um, uh, what we've been seeing in Limburg Bay, which is mostly a diesel tied uh, to that tank discharge. So the Coast Guard has been working with WAPA and their oil spill or oil recovery crews, and they uh, have been compliant in following all the directives to address the cleanup efforts um, at both sites. The land that was affected by from the diesel that was released from the secondary containment and as it went uh, to the Limber Bay area, WAPA and its uh, oil uh, recovery crews have extended efforts to contain the oil that's showing up in the water there and uh, recover that oil as well. Mr. Castradad provided details on the cause of the spill. They were conducting some operations of putting uh, diesel into that tank that uh, caused it to overflow. Um, and following uh, that overflow that went into secondary containment, that secondary containment failed and a substantial amount of diesel was released uh, to the environment and the, and the land area. Even though it's almost been close to a month since that uh, Tank 11 uh, discharged diesel into the environment, uh, it's, it's a pretty... Uh, heavy lift uh, to conduct all this type of work to ensure that all that diesel is removed from, from the environment. So um, uh, there's still a lot to do in that regard, and we're consistently monitoring the situation and in communication with all those uh, oil speed recovery crews uh, from WAPA to ensure that, that everything's uh, properly being addressed. To this point, um, we've we've uh, received that cooperation from them, and and they've responded to 
uh, everything that, that we've directed them to do. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. This is by no means uh, over as far as a, a cleanup of, of the area is concerned. During Thursday's Committee on Education and Workforce Development, the Legislative Secretary read a letter from the Office of Collective Bargaining Chief Negotiator, Josh Springett, to Chair Senator Maurice James. Your staff spoke with, with USW Secretary Ms. Malar Douglas, who mentioned that their issues include pending cases. The union has not provided the list to your office, and Mrs. Douglas told your staff that the union has a long list of issues. Unfortunately, neither your invitation nor your staff's further explanation provided sufficient information for me to provide testimony. Therefore, for the reasons below, I respectfully decline your invitation. Nonetheless, I am very disappointed that they have not contacted me to have these discussions. Instead, they have opted to disregard the CBAs and risk divulging confidential information about their members in one of the most public forums. The hearing was regarding ongoing challenges between the Office of Collective Bargaining and the United Steelworkers. Senate President Novel Francis expressed his displeasure about the lack of representation at the hearing. We heard of pay increases recently for exempt employees, but there's a level of reluctance to address the payment and pay increases for those individuals in the trenches. The boots on the ground, the one that's responsible for carrying the weight and responsibility on the behalf of the government of the Virgin Islands. That's an insult to the people that deserve to get their raises. A date is not unreasonable. You're simply asking for a date to be able to come to the table to have a discussion. What the hell is the problem to give you a date? If it's 2024, at least you know how to prepare yourself and get ready for it. I don't understand. I don't understand why we're so unreasonable to people. And then we expect them to function for you. 911 operators, yep. nurses. I mean, what are we doing here and we're saying to all people? Every time we schedule a hearing with some entity, then they're quick to meet with that entity beforehand so that they could have a preemptive strike. So this is not for naught. There was a benefit for us to schedule this hearing because, of course, at least you had an opportunity to see who the chief negotiator is. Right? Yes. <laughs> it didn't happen before. No. You've been making many requests. It didn't happen before, but it happened yesterday. Yes. Imagine that. Director of District 9 for the United Steel Workers, Danielle Flippo, met Attorney Springett in person for the first time the day before the hearing. He maintained that it was possible to have a conversation without referencing specific cases or matters under negotiation. And there should be some automatic something. And the other thing, and the reason I appreciate the time with you, I don't, I'm not a legislature, legislator, and I don't know the restrictions, but there ought to be some accountability that, that this body can hold the, the executive to that says... When you say you'll do something, you'll do it. And if you don't, here's what happens. I mean, our, our members honestly just want to try to make a decent living. They're not trying to kill the government. They're not trying to uh, move to the top tier of the, of the community. They, they want to make, and they work hard every day to make a decent living. So 
you're in the WTJX newsfeed. On Friday, the Department of Planning and Natural Resources announced they had received yet another grant, this time in the amount of $2.1 million. We spoke with Commissioner Jean-Pierre Oriol to tell us about the grant. The America the Beautiful Challenge is is a, a program again from that the the Biden administration really wanted to put an emphasis on the protection and restoration of our ecosystems. And so, you know, now that the department as of last July has the territorial parks. Um, and protected areas division within it uh, after the passage of, of a law that transferred it into DPNR. You know, we, we have this mandate for not only protecting these um, green spaces, but also enhancing where possible. You know, the team put together a working group to uh, take a look at, particularly on St. Croix, just big swaths of, of land that might be available and to see um, where we could do some interventions, where we would establish some wildlife corridors, where we could partner with groups like the VI Trail Alliance, who is interested in preserving green spaces and shade, but also maintaining the recreational opportunities for biking on St. Croix. You know, and then our our territorial parks and protected area system, where, again, the idea is to enhance the quality of life for our residents here by having some more outdoor recreational opportunities. And, um, and, you know, we, we targeted some areas that we've already been doing work in. So th this was just a really good opportunity. And with the amount of funding that was available um, from the, the America, the beautiful opportunity, we, we thought that we couldn't pass that by. Uh, so we put in a pretty comprehensive application that would allow us to do some really good restoration um, as well as protection and enhancement of our wildlife areas here. During today's weekly Government House press briefing, Director of Communications Richard Mota provided update for the open comment period regarding the administration's abandoned and derelict building legislation. The open comment period for... Uh, members of the community to provide feedback on the administration's proposed legislation to address abandoned and derelict buildings is coming to a close this Friday, November 24th. Your voice matters in shaping how we tackle these issues. Whether you have ideas, concerns, or support to express, now is the time to make your opinion heard. To share your input on the proposed legislation, please visit vi.gov. You can submit your comments easily via email to comments at go.vi.gov. Again, that's comments at go.vi.gov. As we continue in the news feed, we turn now to our regional report. Over the weekend, a concrete wall along an avenue in the Dominican Republic's capital collapsed and killed nine people during heavy rains. Civil engineer Christian Rojas told the Associated Press it was weakness in the design and that there was no anchors in place as reasoning for the collapse. The government has come under scrutiny, with experts stating that they were warned more than 20 years ago about the wall's failures and a lack of effort to fix it. Rojas, 
a former president of the Dominican College of Engineers, Architects, and Surveyors, said the force of the water in a flooded adjacent avenue, combined with the type of wall that was built, led to the collapse. Authorities said the collapse occurred Saturday in Santo Domingo when a portion of the wall that runs along the heavily traversed 27 of February Avenue fell in one piece, crushing cars and their occupants. Among their victims was Puerto Rico prosecutor Michael Orozco, his wife Maria Martinez, and his in-laws. Martinez was pregnant. That's according to the Puerto Rico Association of Prosecutors president, Javier Rivera. In our final update on the news feed, we turn now to the territory's weather forecast. Here's the latest look at the short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. At St. Croix, it's mostly sunny this afternoon. There's the chance for a few showers towards sunset. Temperatures will hold in the middle to upper 80s. Winds from the south now at 10 to 15 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 18 to 20. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find more clouds build in towards sunset and more scattered showers too. Temperatures will also reach the middle 80s. Winds from the south at 15 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 20. Tonight at St. Croix, it's mostly cloudy with scattered showers, numerous showers. In fact, temperatures will fall back into the upper 70s to near 80. There's the chance for a few thunderstorms after midnight as well. Winds from the south and the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour becoming calmer after midnight. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find numerous showers and thunderstorms after midnight as well under mainly cloudy skies. Temperatures will fall back to near 80. Winds from the south-southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour. And on Tuesday at St. Croix, showers will taper off to mostly cloudy skies with a few more areas of scattered showers in the afternoon. Temperatures reach the middle 80s. And at St. Thomas and St. John, it's mostly cloudy. We'll find showers through the day, particularly though early in the afternoon. Temperatures will climb into the upper 80s to near 90. More sunshine by Wednesday area-wide. That's the latest look at your short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX newsfeed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. Be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you missed a part of our news, listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.